I have a couple of guest speakers coming the next couple of weeks. So Pastor Nate Puccini from Minneapolis is coming and Pastor Quincy from uh, uh, Experience Church is coming and they're going to cover the pulpit for me. So I'm just letting you know the lineup. But today you're stuck with me. So um, I also want to let you know that we have a baptism service coming up. And if you're thinking about going public with your faith in Jesus, we would love to invite you to that. Or if you just want more information, just go to the brick wall. Uh, anybody with a name tag would love to help you as well. And uh, we are rounding the corner. Uh, since we planted the church here about six years ago, we are rounding the corner of 180 baptisms right now. And um, this is all amazing because I'm like, I said, we said we would come for one. And that one was you. Cassie and Dustin and not Adrian. And no, I'm just kidding. Listen, if Adrian, of course. Um, if you're not used to having a sarcastic pastor, this is going to be difficult. Easter servants. So just laugh and smile and love Jesus a little bit. Um, here's my question today. You know, I was thinking about this, Sean. I think we have right now kind of an epidemic of uh, something I'm calling window watching. That's the title of my sermon. I think we're trying to watch connection through a window. And I don't know if we're close enough to touch. And until you're in touching distance, I don't think anything changes, really. I think you just have the illusion that, that uh, you have some connection. And... It's annoying going on Instagram and seeing everybody's happy family, especially if you're struggling. But I want to tell you that like Instagram Sunday morning on Easter morning is not the same thing as Instagram in the car getting to church with those kids in those dresses on and leaving church on the way after and the fight you're going to have over the donuts. And, uh, and we're looking in on the, on the, we're window watching. We're kind of creeping what connection looks like. And I wonder how much a uh, part of connection we are, we're actually doing. And, um, you know, has any girl ever, ever done this to your husband and like, I wish you would look at me the way that, that that actor on TV is looking at his actor wife on, you can be honest here. It's okay. Like, why are you more like that person? What that person, that fake person on Instagram. That's what we're talking about right now. First service is quickly becoming my favorite service because they, they didn't feel so convicted by sin and, and stuff and all quiet. I think we have this idea that we have uh, kind of an illusion of connection. You know how it is like when you're looking for your soulmate or whatever makes uh, people who've been married a while throw up in your mouth a little. Um, we've been married long enough that we're not married because of anything anymore. We're married in spite of a whole lot of things. And we can't remember what our favorite song was. And we don't care because at 2 a.m. when you're changing diapers, you don't have a favorite song. And so, uh, but there's this illusion of, you know, finding that person or finding that relationship, or I wish my relationship with God was a certain way. There's an illusion that we pack in there that like, hopefully they're, per they're perfect. Right. But the funny thing about your perfect little illusion that doesn't exist is that in your illusion for a soulmate, single people, we got any single people in the house. Now, some of y'all are still single because you didn't put your hand up because you're stupid. I'd be like right here available church. It's a good spot. <laughs> the trouble with the illusion of connection is that as you're looking for that somebody or you're looking for that friend or you're you're perfect in your mind too what you should be praying for is somebody who's patient 
and somebody who likes flawed people. Your purpose on this earth is to connect. That's what we say it here all the time. You're here to connect with God and you're here to connect with people. That's it. And you'll never connect with God and people until you connect somebody else with God and people. Thank you, Sean. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about my family growing up because some of y'all didn't grow up in a good family. Now, I grew up in a great family. It's still the healthiest family that I've seen. Uh, was my, in spite of my best attempts at um, making it unhealthy and crazy. Um, so my family consists of my dad and my mom and my disappointing brother, Ryan. Just can't not do that. Um, but is he really disappointing? No, he's smarter than I am. And that's what's disappointing. Just stop that up. And we had a, a healthy, um, yeah, a, a healthy family. Now, my parents were very hands-on with their child rearing, if you know what I'm talking about. They would lay hands on me and pray for me, and sometimes they would just lay hands on me. <laughs> my dad is an Old Testament dad, and I'm so grateful for my parents. They're serving here somewhere. And uh, we still call them pastors Richard and Beth. They're retired now, but they're just such a, they're just like the grandma and grandpa of the church. And, um, but they were very hands-on. You know, I would have I killed when I was a kid to have one of you, one of you modern dads. I'd have loved you, boy. I'd have been like, hi, I'm Corey. I'm two. And um, here's a list of demands. And here's what I'll do in the grocery store if you don't give me what I want. And uh, my dad... Anybody having like an Old Testament dad? Like, they had um, powerful uh, eyebrows. <laughs> Ever notice that? My dad didn't say a lot, but he would walk into a room and see me doing something across the room that I shouldn't have been doing, and his eyebrow would just move like a millimeter. You gotta be in tune to that eyebrow. I remember thinking on the other side of the room, like, is this how I wanna die? <laughs> Probably not doing this. Like. He could make you rethink um, your life real quick. And um, my mom, she figured it out uh, early because my mom, uh, she was good for a sales pitch. I could, I could sell mom on stuff. And so I had her sold on something one time because I love talking. I had her sold on something. And she goes, hey, it sounds pretty good. Why don't you go ask dad? I'm, like, I'm not going to ask dad that. She goes, why not? It sounded pretty good. I'm like, well, you're not going to go for that. Oh, my goodness. Your kids ever have like a sales pitch when they come to you and they've been practicing in the mirror? Anybody catch your kids practicing something in the mirror? Anybody catch your kids crying in the mirror? <laughs> and then they see how sad they are and then they cry even more. <laughs> Somebody saying that would be like, they were just, I just watched my kids. They were just crying in a mirror. If you don't have kids, you think that we're monsters, but just wait. Just wait. You'll be in the prayer corner soon enough <laughs> when it's too late to give them back. My, uh, I had a, a sales pitch worked out for my dad one time, and I took a deep breath because it's that first sentence. You've got to nail that first sentence, right? So I was like, I walk in, I'm like, hey, Dad. And before I could get it out, he looks over, his eyebrow goes up one millimeter, and he says, no. And I'm like, fair enough. You know, I, I walked away. I'm like, I knew he wasn't going to go for it. Anyways, it was... I thought it was worth a, a try. Um, we had this thing in our house where mom could yell at you, but if you ever yelled back, you could go dig your own hole in the backyard and just save everybody some time. No? Mom was like off limits. You could go lie down in the driveway and dad would be out in a minute. You know what I'm saying? 
Or you could go move in with the neighbor kids if they're cool with idiots, you know. Um, I was one of those kids, so I demanded discipline. Some of your kids are just suggesting it. Like, hey, my attitude's kind of terrible. I should probably, you know. They're suggesting it. I demanded it. I'm like, hey, everybody, today's the day. Uh, you're going to be forced to discipline me in some way or another because I'm just in that mood right now. And um, I threw a baseball bat at my brother. I had an anger problem. I threw a baseball bat at my brother one time. I got disciplined for it. Now, in my defense, I wasn't, like, trying to hit him. I was just trying to put the fear of God in him a little. Do we have any uh, firstborn kids? Yeah, mom and dad used all their discipline up on us, and then they ran out. And then our siblings were raised with nothing. It's embarrassing. You know, I'm like, the fact that you're not doing anything about this kid, dad, I will step in. I will, I will discipline my brother Ryan. I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do to fix this kid. There's something not right. I'd have a talk with my dad one time when we had our, uh, our first, um, our daughter. So he had his first granddaughter. And uh, just my brother and I growing up. And as you can tell, like a, a decently sarcastic home. And, uh, and, but he had his first granddaughter. And I remember having to have this talk with my dad, which I never thought was going to happen. Because Armin would go over to grandma and grandpa's. And it's all cake and ice cream over there, man. I'm like, what happened? 9 a.m. in the morning, they're eating ice cream because Arwen wants ice cream. And then Arwen comes back, and Mom's like, you need to have a nap. You need to clean something up. And she would go on the bed and throw a... She'd lose her Holy Spirit and throw a fit. And just be like, Grandma, Grandpa, I want to go to Grandma, Grandpa's. I want to go to Grandma, Grandpa's. So I had to, I had to, I had to do this. I had to parent my dad. I had to go over there and be like, Dad, you got to tighten this up. I cannot believe that it's come to this. You used to be boot camp. You used to know what was going down. Now my daughter comes over and is like, Mom, I don't want to like Mom. I want to go to Grandma." He goes, yeah, I know. I, this is hard. Granddaughter. I can't wait till I have grandkids. I'm going to mess them up. I have to beat them full of sugar and send them home. Payback. If you want connection, though, you're going to have to be handled. So I was handled a lot growing up. And connection equals handling. And we don't like handling nowadays. You know, here's the funny thing. Touch was something that God made, and it was beautiful. And because the devil is not inventive, he just took touch and made it all bad. So now i got to worry, like, when I'm in public and my daughter's out there, and I put my arm around there, what people are thinking about me. Well, this is my kid, you know? And the devil, the devil takes good things and twists them, and then he takes bad things and puts chocolate on it. And... Um, but if you look in from the outside of a good, healthy family relationship and you just look in and see somebody being handled and you're just, here's a, you're just window watching, you're not on the inside. You can't see that dad doesn't love disciplining you, but he's got to because somebody's got to because he wants you to be your best. He doesn't want you to be a loser, you know, and live your whole life expecting somebody else to pay the ticket. You know, he wants you to be useful in society and help people and pay for your family. And, you know, I mean... And so, but if you look in on the outside of that, it can seem a little weird to you. I think some of us, we look in on the outside of healthy relationships, or maybe you're looking in on the outside into a healthy church, and, and you're starting like, oh, this takes some handling. People handle each other. But it looks a little bit weird because you're missing um, things like what happened to me one Easter, is that the most memorable Easter I ever had was not like Easter, but it was after Easter when we were at my grandma's house. And this was back uh, before uh, they took fun out of the world. And so we used to just stuff kids with chocolate. And so, come on, I know you guys are like, my life should be fun. This sounds amazing. Is this real? It was real. And my grandma gave me an entire solid chocolate Easter bunny that should have been shared by like 
a hockey team. And I ate the whole thing, plus a bunch of other stuff that I decided to eat that day too. And I ate that entire chocolate Easter bunny. And uh, Jesus rose that morning, and that Easter bunny rose that night at about two. <laughs> it was a resurrection of biblical proportions. Now let me just let me explain my living situation at the time because there, we, our, our house had an upstairs and a downstairs, and the downstairs was kind of undeveloped. There's no bathroom or anything down there, and there was a corner cellar that my parents put me in because you know every every family's got Ryan would be upstairs where the humans live, you know, and there's sunshine and. And when, see, when visitors come over, you got to be able to show them somebody, right? And so Ryan was that kid, and they're like, here's Ryan, you know, isn't our family great? Like, we're doing it, we're good parents, right? And they'd be like, where's that other kid? What other kid? The kid in the, the kid we saw in your yard yesterday shooting arrows straight up in there and just waiting for them to come down. That's what we used to do. No, that's not what Ryan used to do, that's what I used to do. Shoot them as high as they go and just see. Some kids didn't make it. Walk around with an arrow stuck in her head. Where's that kid? What's that noise downstairs? They'd be like, it's nothing important. Just <laughs> we don't talk. We don't talk about Bruno. This is. And uh, so I lived down in the basement. I could have lived upstairs, but I lived down in the basement, in the far corner of the house. And at 2 a.m., I wake up, and the urgency of the Easter Bunny resurrection is upon me. I always envision the devil on Easter morning waking up feeling like that, like, oh, here it comes. But this was not that. This was the Easter bunny of sin that I ate. And 2 a.m., I wake up, and I'm like, it's now. And I've got, you know, a mile to run to get to the bathroom. And I'm like, oh, here we go. So I sat there. I tried to wait it out, like 10 seconds, 20 seconds. I'm like, it's not going away. And I ran for it. I made it halfway across that basement. Now, if you don't have kids, you don't know this yet, but when children, it doesn't look like a human body doing it. It looks like an exorcism. Like it's, it's just, it's shocking. You're like, that, that body shouldn't be able to do that. I don't want to get too like graphic about it, but it's like, it's all chocolate Easter bunny and like, and let, I'm just going to say the walls need to paint after this one, okay? Like, it was that bad. It was that bad. And uh, see, you see me getting handled the day before for shooting arrows up in the air or something stupid. What you missed was that my dad came downstairs and cleaned it up. This is going to preach. Somebody's, somebody might be thinking where this is going. Look, you don't have to live downstairs away from the family. You don't have to eat the entire Easter bunny of sin. You don't have to do that. But you did. And dad came down and cleaned it up. That's what you miss if you're looking in through a window and you don't really get it yet. You look into a church through a window. You don't really get it yet. You're looking into church. You might be here. You might be what I call a priester. You're here at Christmas and Easter. And look, we love you, but you're looking in through a window. You're looking in at God interacting with his kids, but he's not interacting with you. But you're like, well, I kind of feel like, but it's not. You can't interact with the other side of a window. You've got to be close enough to touch. God got Jesus up. 
and sent him down into the basement to clean up that mess for us. And then we look at God and we're like, hey, my life isn't working out really great. And he's like, well, I don't even, I can't even hear you because you're on the other side of a window. And all you do is come up to the window every time you're in trouble and like, like I can't. You could move upstairs if you want. That'd better be Jesus. Did you know that studies have been done on, on children? I don't know who do, does these kind of studies, but they studied children that hadn't been touched. And so early on in the, you know, in 1915, I think they did a study. They noticed that, that kids that grew up without touch, a lot of them, they didn't thrive. And they not only didn't thrive, they died. Because you are designed for touch, because touch is connection. And you know that about your kids, but I, I wonder if you've, thought about this like see kids who grow up without touch there's a higher level of adult aggression in society there's higher levels of cortisol i think cortisol is a stress hormone it's released into they, there's higher levels of stress they can't their brains don't develop properly and i know that i know that society is okay with like you being affectionate with your kids because we understand that but i don't know if you understand that you're the kid and you need jesus to interact with you or you're going to have all this stress and all this and be undeveloped and be afraid all the time and be angry and have this aggression. Boy, this sermon could preach itself, I feel like. I... You want me to stay? Thank you. I'll stay. Um, true identity and connection comes through osmosis. And right now, we're telling our kids, like, hey, go to school and they'll tell you who you are. No, let them teach you math, but don't let them teach you you. Right? Am, I, am I a little crazy right now? I'm just... Look, if you can explain the whole woke thing to my dad, good on you. But if you can't, it might just be crazy. I'm just saying. That is not where we get identity from. We get identity... You know where I got my identity? Because my dad put his arm around me. and He's like, boy, you can do better than this. Here's... You're not good at this. Let's get you into this other thing here because I see a future for you here. I see that you're going to become somebody great here. You're going to have to work for it, but you can do it. You can do it. I'm not going to let you not do it. I learned identity from my father because he learned identity from his father in heaven. And then I started, then he handed me off to God and I got my identity. Why? Because I'm close enough to touch. And I don't have to worry if you like me or not. I'm not looking at all these places or in the next relationship to figure out who I am. I know who I am. Because I know who my father is and like, we're good. I got it. So there's two people, two groups of people in the time of Jesus. When he dies and goes down into the grave, there's two groups of people and you're in one of these groups. There's the big group that they were kind of around. They heard his teaching and they're like, wow, he's incredible. Like, this is great. This is amazing. We didn't really change their lives all that much because they just went home. They're like watching through a window. They got fed with the miracle or maybe somebody got healed. But then the next day, the troubles or life or, you know. So there's one large group that watched through a window. And then there's a small group that were close enough to touch. I'll tell you, this group, if you don't get touched by Jesus, you don't change. Because it's the touch that changes.
One group watched identity, the other group got identity. One group ran away when there was trouble, the other group were martyred for their faith. Why? Because they had been changed and they're like, this is who we are now. You can't take this away from us. You can't take away, you can't tell me that that didn't happen because I touched Jesus and Jesus touched me and he did something in here. Touch changes you. One group lived next to power and health and identity and the other group got identity and that other group, that small group changed the world. Luke 24, very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Many people watched in Jerusalem through windows. Watch Jesus on Palm Sunday. Hey, this is great. Watch Jesus march to the cross. Oh, this is not great. And their lives are just going on. They're watching all through a window. But these gals got up early and they went to the tomb. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. So they went in, though. See, some of us will go and we're like, okay, we, we, we've gone as far as we can. But you have to kind of immerse yourself in the experience. Like we did last week in the sermon. You have to immerse yourself in death before you can be resurrected. Because if you're not dead, you can't be resurrected. Some, some people want Jesus just to rejuvenate them. He's like, no, that's not going to take you where you need to go. You need to go and get on your knees and get some dirt on your fingernails and get in the, in the tomb. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking for, among the dead for someone who's alive? You know, my mom went to a church. Now, I would do this in a way that would honor God. But the church is on the hook for some stuff. We're stewards of God. And when churches turn into what I call religion in the sense of man-made religion, we take Jesus out and kind of put ourselves in there. And they're like, hey, this is kind of what it looks like. That doesn't save anybody. I'm going to, should I do a sermon series called Frank and Jesus? We're like, the Jesus that you made is kind of like a little like Jesus and a lot like you, but I'm not going to save anybody. Right in our venue code, we're like, we believe in Jesus as he is, not as we'd like him to be. That's not going to save me. My mom grew up in like the predominant uh, denomination of her day. And because her reverend never preached Jesus as if he was real, she got all the way to university before somebody's like, hey, do you want to come to this um, prayer meeting and meet Jesus? She's like, I can meet Jesus. Why are you looking for somebody who's alive among the dead? There's something to be. Come on, church. Come on, church. This is the most adventure you're ever going to get in this lifetime. This is the best life you're going to live. Your kids in, over in kids ministry are now like, they are not, we're not watching Jesus through a window. They are meeting Jesus. They are like literally hands on like, hey, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to worry about what your friends think about you. Here's what Jesus thinks about you. Here's what Jesus thinks about you. Your heart's full of courage. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's you. That's you now. You get all of this now. So they rush back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. That same day, two of Jesus' followers, I'm going to preach to somebody here, were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. I don't know if they did this by habit, but they're kind of going in the wrong direction on Easter. Been walking seven miles in the wrong direction. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. They were talking and discussing. You can talk and discuss things, but you're still only looking through a window. 
Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. And I'm kind of like, how? Like, well, you can go to church your whole life and not know what Jesus looks like. I mean, the Pharisees crucified Jesus and they spent their entire lives reading the scriptures about Jesus. So proximity to does not mean connection to. Come on, church people. You know, I'm like, is he talking to me? I'm definitely talking to you. You're the only ones who are here. He asked him, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? Now, this is like, when Jesus asks you something, it's kind of a loaded question because, he, you know, you're like, oh, you don't know. Let me educate you about. Do you understand that Jesus knows everything? Okay. So when he's like, hey, so what are you talking about? He kind of knows the answer. You just need to say it so that it sounds stupid. Jesus, I just got to kind of paraphrase this. So they're talking. They're like, we had hoped that he was going to save us from Rome. We had hoped that God was going to do this. I hoped that God was going to fix my marriage. I hoped that God was going to make me rich. I hoped that God was going to do this and give me all these friends. And I hoped that I was, God was going to do all of these things. But Jesus is like, well, I'm going to do my 50%, but you got to do your 50%, which isn't a lot, but it's still your 50%. Catch it. Catch it. You get his 50% with your 50%. Is a pretty good trade-off, but you got to give your 50%. And um, then he goes back in the prophets, and he's like, come on, guys, how blind are you? Like, I literally, I mean, he literally told you this is going to happen. He's going to get crucified. He's going to get, I mean, like, it's all written down. And he told you about it a whole bunch of times, as if I was there, you know. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and the end of the journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on. And that's it. That's it. You're going to come to Easter. You made it. Like, this is your 50%. You're here. But now is, is when Jesus... Can I just hurt your feelings a little bit? Then Jesus is like, okay, this is great. Good journey. Good talk. I'm going to keep going. Well, what are you going to do? He used to be like, okay. Uh, something almost happened. Something almost shifted. Something almost changed. A year from now, you'll wish it did. And um, he'd walked far enough. He's like, look, I already came down to the basement. I already cleaned all this mess up. You've got to walk on your own two feet back up the stairs. I'll help carry you, but you got to move. You got to do something. Jesus breaks bread with them and starts eating, and then he disappears from their sight as they realize that was Jesus. Right there, and we missed him. Right there, and we missed him. But then it says, within the hour, maybe within the hour of this service, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. They were on their way back to the hard part. They were on their way back to the place where they didn't know what the future was going to bring. They were on their way back. They found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told the story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. Just as they were telling it, Jesus himself suddenly standing there and he's like, that's not right, guys. You're just making this up. I don't know what he said. He's like, peace be with you because the whole group was startled and frightened thinking they were seeing a ghost. Just lean in here because I'm just at the end of this here. Some of you have a relationship with a ghost of Jesus, but not real Jesus yet. It's like having a, being in a relationship with a, an idea of somebody, but not them. You're not close enough. You're not intimate enough yet. Jesus isn't all up in your business yet, in your business world yet. You come to church and look a certain way, but he's not, he didn't leave with you. He didn't get up in your attitude. Like, hey, you, you can't act like that out there and act like this. And here you got to be the same person. And we, we got to work on this. Go home and you're acting like a crazy person. And Jesus got to get into everything. 
Like, we got to bleed something that matters. They thought they had seen a ghost. Why are you frightened? Why are your heart's filled with doubt? And I'm going to say that to somebody. Why are you frightened? What are you afraid of? You know what waits out there for you. You know there's no hope anywhere else. What are you, afraid? What are you so afraid of? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Last part. You ready? Come on up, worship. Last part. Touch me and make sure. He goes, I know you're weak. I know I'm literally right here, but you don't get it. Touch me and make sure. You got to do this part. Touch me and make sure I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. Okay, I'm going to land this plane. Are you ready? It's going to be It's going to be different. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. Ghosts don't have bodies. Ghosts don't have bodies. Jesus will only be a ghost to you until you touch Jesus' body. When I'm connecting with my daughters, I don't connect a lot with my head. It was a... It's just weird. You know how I connect with my body? My hands, my heart, my pull them in close. You connect. And I can just kind of wipe fears away and just be like, hey, just relax. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God's got this. God's, it's going to be okay. Jesus has a body too. And it's called the local church. And Grandpa was connected maybe to the local church. But dad left because maybe he wanted to do his own thing. Or maybe he got hurt. You get hurt in family, don't you? Some people are like, well, you don't understand, Pastor. I'm like, I understand. Sheep bite. And more sheep bite me than bite anybody else. I get it. But I still love it. I still love the family. I still love my family because it's healthy and we work it out. And I think what we've done, come on, is that we've tried to somehow pull the head off the body and walk around with this weird head called Jesus. So I don't need the local church anymore. And Jesus is like, I don't know what you're carrying around, but that's not me. Come on. That's not me you're carrying around because I'm part of the body and the body is the thing that connects with you. That's where I am. You can't just pull this butt. You can't just walk around and be like, it's just me and Jesus, and I don't need this anymore. Jesus is like, no, you don't get to do that with my head, on my body. You're like, what? Well, the church is flawed, and the church is over, and the church, the church is filled with people like you, and that should give you a lot of hope. Because we're not gonna, we got, we gotta forgive you. We have to. We have no other option. And if you met Chad, you'd, you'd relax. You're not as bad as Chad. There is this thing that happens when you give up your pride and you just like, hey, I'm just going to be a part of this thing. I'm going to do what we call like an altar. I'm not going to make you come up here. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand just a little bit. We're going to bow our heads in a minute. Nobody's going to look around. But you just, some of you are waiting for an invitation just to come to Jesus. You're like, I've been looking in on the outside of this faith thing for a while. and I need to get around that glass. I need to get in there. I need to meet Jesus. I need Jesus to touch me. 
I need some hope. I need some eternity. I need to be part of this family. I need adoption. And some of us, can I say honestly, some of us, we were adopted. And then we left. Because we're, I don't like this family. And there's broken things in here. Or like, I just want to go and, like my dad. He left his church growing up. He just wanted to go drink beer. Nothing wrong with beer, but drink it in church. No, <laughs> I just can't not do stupid stuff, you know. But I'm just saying, like, some of you just need to come back in the family and be like, this is my family. I don't know where I've been this whole time. I'm sorry. I, should, I just need to come back. I, just, I didn't left because I didn't want to take the garbage out, and that was kind of stupid. But I miss the benefit of this family this entire time, the family of God. And there's only one place on this earth where you get it all, and that's the local church. And some of you didn't think that you left Jesus, but when you left the body, you did. And Jesus is inviting you back and saying, actually, I'm over here. And I would love to teach you how to belong in a healthy family. So let's get you healthy because health is for helping. Would you just bow your heads with me and we're going to sing a song of celebration in a moment because somebody's going to be coming back. Now, you might be committed to Jesus. You might be committed to the church. But there's a part of your life still in the basement eating chocolate, Easter bunnies, and you need to give something up too. You desperately want the person beside you to come back to Jesus, but you need to give something over to Jesus for that to happen too. And uh, I want to give you an opportunity if you need to move closer to Jesus wherever you are. You might be really good at church, but you might have missed the heart of God along the way. You just need to get closer. Or maybe you're coming to Jesus, or maybe you're coming back, or maybe you're just coming back to church. And if I hit any of those things for you, I want to just put your hand up a little bit. Like, no, nobody's looking around. Everybody's got their eyes closed. Just put your hand up. you got to do something. You gotta, your 50% doesn't look like a lot, but it might look like your hand. You just walk up those stairs again. And God, that's me. i, I got to come back. I, I've been putting this off. I knew it was inevitable that this is the only family where I ever could belong and where I could be loved the way that you want to love me. I'm sorry for leaving, or I'm sorry that I just didn't explore faith sooner. I'm sorry that I sat in church all this time and missed the heart of Jesus. I'm sorry that I've still got these things in my life that don't honor the Lord. And I want to do something, I want to praise something called the sinner's prayer. And if you would want to join me with that, I would recommend everybody maybe doing that. Just repeat this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. I rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and my Savior. If you don't die to self, you don't get resurrected in Christ. But for everybody who is moving closer, I want to show you what a resurrection song kind of feels like. Because you get everything that heaven has now. And all it costs you is self, but you get everything that Jesus paid for, for you. And there's no devil in hell that can keep you from your destiny. There's no pain or betrayal that can keep you from living a a great, hard, healthy life where you get to give back and you get to help people find connection with God and with people.
A year from now. I don't want to see you a year from now. I don't want to see you a year from now. I don't want to preach the same thing and be like, hey, get connected. I'd like to see you next week. I'd like to see you slip up from the other side of that glass and do it. All right, y'all ready for, ready for some uh, resurrection? All right, let's light this place on fire. Let's go.